Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa Because we don't know ourselves, because we haven't gotten to the core of who we are, we identify ourselves with labels. And we don't necessarily know the definition of the labels. We don't necessarily know the extent of their meaning, but they give us something to hold on to. And they give us a way to identify ourselves in this huge mass of humanity. Now, the fact that these labels don't have apparent meaning and are interpreted different ways by different people doesn't stop us. Uh, We kind of need them. It was said in the 11th century that Sufism used to be a way of being, a state of being, um, not a philosophy. And now it's a philosophy without a state of being. And this is the part about labels. Just because I label myself something doesn't mean anything. It just means I've chosen a label. In uh, the world, there are some pretty evident contradictions uh, with these labels that, if you really look, become incredibly confusing. People who call themselves Hindus believe that Krishna walked the world as God. And if you walk into a Hindu temple, you may see representations of Krishna, either in paintings or in statues. In Christianity, people believe that Jesus walked the world as God. And if you walk into a Catholic church, you may see pictures and or statues of Jesus. Yet, Christians will tell you with ardor, with vehemence, that they are not Hindus. And Hindus will tell you the same thing as to Christianity. They're not Christians. Now, I'm sure somebody other than me must have noticed this (laughs) before today. But it just seems interesting to me uh, how different those of us in the world perceive these two religions. Yet at the core, there's this immense 
similarity. So, what is it about us that needs to define ourselves? What is it about us that needs to grasp on to something? Where does it come from? How does it come about? Well, we all come into the world through a mother and a father. And we have a very, very close relationship in our formative years with our parents. And it is said that that which you learn as a child is like writing on stone, and that which you learn later in life is like writing on water. So there's something about the fact that that which we are brought into has an effect on us much later in life, and a very strong effect. So, we have these ties connected to our parents, and they deal with blood, they deal with karma, they are direct ties. We are given genetic coding from our parents. You could call our genetic coding our karma. But we're given more. We're given a belief system. And this belief system, when we're young, we believe is the nature of belief systems. There isn't anything else. This is it. This is what comes through my family. This is what comes through my way. This is what is mine. This is how I approach my relationship with divinity. This is how I was taught that my relationship with divinity exists. And to enter into a new relationship with divinity is impossible for me because I have to do things through my way. Well, if you listen close to that statement, you heard the words relationship with divinity. Do you really have a relationship with divinity? Or is this a hallucination? Do you have a relationship with divinity? Or do you have a relationship with a ritualistic structure that has been told to you is a relationship with divinity? Is your relationship with divinity based on the things that you do or the way that you are? And this is at the key to real understanding. Who are you? Or who am I? What am I really? And if I define myself as a Christian, or I define myself 
as a Jew, or I define myself as a Muslim, or I define myself as a Buddhist, or I define myself as a Hindu, does that change who I am? And what do these definitions have to do, or these labels have to do, with who I am? So, is our study of religion, is our study of ourselves something that we do to try and define labels or to try and define ourselves? Do we come to know God? Do we come to know Krishna? Do we come to know Allah? Do we come to know Jesus? Do we come to know Buddha? Through outside, external, ritualistic practice, or through an internal awakening to holiness? Through an internal awakening awakening to a state of being that is integrated with that which is divine. Do we know the difference? Or have we become robotic in our ritualistic performance of our religion and that which it prescribes as the ritualistic performance? Um, In Islam... Shia, which is one section of Islam, and Sunni, which is another section of Islam, uh, both pray. Shia go to prayers three times a day. Sunni go to prayers five times a day. Now, in Shiism, they combine two of the prayers, so their actual timing is... Uh, different than the way Sunni do it because they do it five times a day. Does that alter who they are? Does that make them different people? Well, many of them will go through an extended explanation of how they are different than the other. And I don't think anybody doubts that there are certain sections of Sunni Islam who consider Shia a heresy and have even gone so far as to uh, declare jihad on Shiism. The point being that labels can be talked about and discussed, and quantified, and classified, and thought about. It's much more difficult to quantify internal states. And since Allah has not seen fit to give us the ability to read minds, none of us can truly see, tell, and understand the internal state 
of others. But in this world of form, it's very easy to be able to see the dress of others, the external actions of others, and to make judgments on those. So what's happened in many paths, in many ways, is you are looked at as what you do. And not necessarily what you do by way of compassion or by way of mercy or by way of kindness or by way of love or by way of anger. You are looked at by what you do in the religion by your external adherence to certain ritualistic practices. Um, If you don't dress a certain way, you're a non-believer. If you don't wear your beard a certain way, you're a non-believer. If you don't show up at certain places at certain times, you're a non-believer. But none of this takes in consideration where is the heart and what is the state of the heart. What is the inner being and what is the state of the inner being. Now, I am not making any judgments or giving any advice on whether or not you should follow the ritualistic norms of what has been given. But what I am saying is that in addition to following the ritualistic norms of what has been given, given. You have to develop a place inside of yourself that's holy. And you have to understand the makings of what holiness is. And you have to understand how to go from the chaos and confusion of what we call the illusory world to the serenity, peacefulness, contentment, and reality of what we call holy. We have to make that transference. Now, the word holy doesn't come with the name of a religion attached to it. The word holy doesn't come with ritualistic practices attached with it. Holy is a state of being. And we have to alter our state of being from the chaos and confusion of illusion to the serenity and peacefulness of reality. We have to come to the place where all of that that shakes and rattles and quakes and causes 
confusion is no longer a part of us. Where the comparisons between one and another are no longer relevant to us. Where we don't spend our time looking at others and looking at ourselves and saying they are different because of and then listing A, B, C, D and those differences consist almost entirely of the external manifestations of what happens within that group. We have to be able to go to the place that is holy. All of us have been alive for a certain period of time. And all of us have experiences during that time. And all of us have gone to school. And all of us have learned some basic things that we should, by now, have grasped. That which we call time moves forward. And during the passage of time, things disappear and things change. And one of the things that disappears is the people that exist within periods of time. So, we should be absolutely cognizant of the fact that everyone we see, everyone we know, everyone we hold dear is on the road to disappearing. Including the one we hold most dear, which is ourselves. How do we rationalize this event? How do we consider this event? How do we put this event in perspective? Or do we just ignore it? Um, I gave a, a talk once at a uh, place that had invited me. I think it was a Unitarian church. And uh, at the end, a lady got up and said to me, why do we have to talk about the span of life and the fact that people die? It's all so depressing. Can't we talk about other things? And what's happened is, she has labeled the reality of existence depressing. And her solution to the reality of things is just to ignore it and make believe it doesn't exist. Well, can we look at reality and grin? Can we look at reality and accept what God has offered? Or do we hold God accountable for the fact that reality doesn't conform to our idea of the way it should be. And one of the reasons that it doesn't conform to our idea of the way it should be is our arrogance. 
Because within our arrogance, we are the center of creation. We are at the core of all that exists. The sun doesn't revolve around the earth. The sun revolves around me. The sun is here to keep me warm. Everything was created on my behalf and without it, without me, creation doesn't exist. This is the typical attitude that exists by most people in the world. How do we turn away from that? How do we begin to understand the nature of the reality that the creation was given to all of us and that within all of us, no matter what our belief systems are, there is a sameness. There is a oneness. Most religions tell you and or will tell you that you are among the chosen. Why? Because you have somehow been placed within their group and their group was chosen. And in that chosenness, there is some kind of special relationship between the creator and you because the creator has chosen this group to somehow be special. My first question, well not my first question, one of my first questions uh, to Baal Mohayyadeen was, is there a chosen people? Is there a group that Allah, God, has chosen to the exception of others? Is there one group that he favors? Is there one group that he chooses? And Bao's answer was, yes, there is. The ones who choose him, he chooses them back. And they become the chosen people. So, is it because we choose a religion? Is it because we choose certain ritualistic practices? Is it because we're born into a certain family? No. It's our internal state that makes us his or not his. And how do we become his? By being like him. You know, in in families, there's a familial resemblance. And this familial resemblance excludes others who don't have that familial resemblance. Can you have, or do you have, a familial resemblance to Allah? It has nothing to do with your language, has nothing to do with your religion, has nothing to do with your color, has nothing to do with your race, it has nothing to do with your ritualistic performance. It has to do with what have you become on the inside. What are you on the inside? 
who are you on the inside and what is the connection on the inside instead of studying religion we should be studying states instead of studying religion we should be studying who we are now this doesn't mean that it's exclusionary to religion but it does mean that if the religion isn't teaching you who you are then the religion in the way it's being taught by whoever is teaching you isn't being taught appropriately we need to become not a label but some kind of essential essence and what is that essential essence what is the nature of that essential essence where does that essential essence exist how do we plug in to that essential essence now if we believe that there is an essential essence and we need to somehow move towards that and find an equanimity with that and find peace within that it means that this arrogance that separates us and makes us greater than has to somehow be given up how do we move towards wisdom what do we have to do to gain wisdom how about if the answer is you have to give up what you assume in order to gain wisdom so it isn't about getting it's about giving up it's about releasing long held ideas that separate you from the truth it's about letting go of the self and all the ideas that we hold on to as to who our creation is at the core of illusion is the way we see things through our mind and at the core of that is this person that we have created in the ocean of illusion that we've given titles to that we've dressed up that we've make assumptions and about about that happens to be us and this image that we have of ourselves is how we deal with the world now in islam it has come down that you shall not have images of allah that you shall not pray to images that you shall not have intermediaries in the sense of idols and 
the egocentric self, the greatest idol that we have, the one that we pay the most attention to, is our self. So, isn't it interesting that to truly find who we are, we have to give up the image of ourself. We have to give up the creation that we have taken a lifetime to build. And what happens when you put an enormous amount of effort into something, you hate to give it up. You hate to let it go. You, you, you hate to admit that there's some kind of a mistake here. You hate to turn around and leave things behind. There are people who collect things. And their collections somehow give them a sense of identity. They identify with their things. And some people can't leave anything behind. Everything they touch is somehow part of them. I walked uh, through a house once where the papers, newspapers, were stacked in neat bundles all through the house and they created rows and you had to walk between the rows of papers to get anywhere. They were piled on the furniture, they were piled on the rugs, they were piled everywhere along with every other thing that ever came into that house. Uh, It's just an overt, over-the-top manifestation of what all of us do to lesser or greater degrees. Understand that. Lesser or greater degrees. doesn't mean it's not the same. It just means a lesser or a greater external manifestation of what's going on in the inside. We may have piled up in us everything we've ever seen or thought, even though we keep a very clean external appearance. Um, you can't always tell what's really going on. I look like a farmer, but I'm a lover. You can't tell a book by looking at its cover. We all need to become lovers. And we can look like farmers, but the lovers that we need to become are the lovers of reality. And to become the lovers of reality, we have to believe that this illusion that we spend our time in can and must be taken from us. And the point is, we must be ready to give it up voluntarily. When uh, Ishmael was taken to be sacrificed, he went willingly. He said, do what needs to be done, and he laid himself down. 
who are all going to be sacrificed. Just in different ways. We're all going. That's the reality of this existence. Can we go with a smile? Can we go knowing that there's a next phase? Can we go with the faith that Allah has prepared a table for us? And that that grace and mercy that is His is beyond our comprehension and greater than what we know. We imagine what we want. We imagine what we need. And we imagine this so strongly that we want it more than anything He has to give us. And the only way we can figure out or see what He has to give us is to let go of what we want. When we're holding on so tight for what we think we need, we don't have the capacity to see anything else. We don't have the capacity to allow anything else to enter us. The full glass has no room for anything else to come into it. We have to empty that glass. And that's not an easy thing. We have to empty a lifetime of accumulation. A lifetime, this is the operative word, of opinions. We have to empty a lifetime of thinking things should be done a certain way. Can we understand that our knowledge is extremely limited. And can we understand that at each phase that we learn more, an enormous amount of what we've learned before takes its place on the shelf of that which has no importance. Takes its place on the shelf of what is plated where, as opposed to the real thing. That line, plated where, comes from an Emily Dickinson poem. Uh, it fell so low in my regard I heard it hit the ground and fall to pieces on the stones at bottom of my mind. Yet I blamed the fate that flung it less than I reviled myself for entertaining plated ware upon my silver shelf. (laughs) Realize that there is a place for the real thing and don't put false things there. Throw them away. Deal with reality. Deal with that which is real. Deal with that which is the gold that belongs to the Lord, that which is untainted, that which is without motive, that which is full of mercy and full of compassion, that which is holy. Accept only that which is holy. Stay away from that which is tainted, that which is plated, that which is not of him. And as we 
do away with our relationship with that which is not of reality. We become more and more real. We all know people who are described as, well, you can't really deal with him because he's not real. He doesn't, he's not in touch. He's somewhere else. His, his point of view comes from places unseen, deep inside the recesses of his own being. The deep inside the recesses of our being has to be the truth, has to be mercy, has to be kindness, has to be love. And if we can make that journey, then we can find reality. And then we can find the truth. And then we can be given the treasures that belong to him, which are the treasures that are beyond imagination. And if we can go to that place, then we don't need our imagination any longer because the grace becomes our reality, not our imagination. Imagination out, grace in. Hallucinations out, grace in. When the truth comes, you will know it. And when it happens, embrace it. And may we all be given that opportunity. And when that opportunity comes, may we all take it. Amin, amin. Karabil alamin. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh.